your federal income tax and social security associated with 425 grand of income is about 32% of your total wages. So this is one of these big differences that people don't realize whenever you're moving from training into attending hood is that that leap, yeah, your income goes way up, but the share that you're paying of taxes goes way, way up as well. So the total amount going to Uncle Sam for just the federal piece is 135 grand of the 425. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 168 of APM Success. Today, we're going to be tackling a topic that came up recently in a client conversation. And I thought, you know what? (laughs) I love it when I have an opportunity to crowdsource important topics like this. And I wanted to discuss it on the podcast. But before I dive into the topic at hand, a couple quick student loan reminders. By the time this show gets released, it will be coming up on the end of October. October 31st is the conclusion of the PSLF waiver deadline, meaning if in the past you've had issues with getting payments counted for your federal loans because you were making payments on the wrong plan or you didn't have the right types of loans, then you have the opportunity to consolidate them before October 31st and basically have many of those issues resolved in the act of consolidating. However, it does require that you take action before the end of the month. So highly recommend that you look into that closely if you're somebody who's going for PSLF and has questions about that. The second thing is the forgiveness application is now out in beta for the uh, $10,000 forgiveness for all borrowers or $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients that uh, President Biden has been working on. As, as of the date of this recording, which is October 16th, it's still under legal challenge. So we'll see if it does get to the finish line. But if it does, the application has been released. I'll link to that in the show notes. I'm going to have a number of links in the show notes today. So you can check that out, apmsuccess.com slash 168. And we'll have uh, applicable links for these student loan updates there. As far as the topic at hand today, what I want to talk about is... How should you think about cost of living differential when you're looking at jobs? Specifically, if I'm thinking about a high cost of living area, the Bay Area or Manhattan or something like that versus a low cost of living area, what are the things you want to keep in mind and what are the primary contributors to the difference in those cost of living circumstances? And how should you be thinking about it if you're a physician right now, you're a CA4 looking at anesthesia jobs for next year, or maybe you're a fellow who is similarly kind of on that timeline where you're looking at offers between now and the end of the year, and you're hoping to lock something up shortly thereafter. Hopefully today's conversation will be instructive. In addition, I want to look at, for people who are going for PSLF, you do have a unique opportunity to kind of do something for a certain period of time, similar to the residency experience where you're not signing your life away to go do residency in a city you can just do something for four years and then pivot for anesthesia. So how can you optimize PSLF in terms of high cost of living versus low cost of living as you're moving towards forgiveness? So let's start with an important dynamic to understand. And that is that when you're looking at careers in medicine, and today I'm going to talk about anesthesiology specifically, but this would apply to pain management and many other medical specialties. 
When you're looking at careers in medicine, the normal cost of living adjustments do not apply. The regular economics don't apply to doctors' incomes. And the reason is it's not as hard to recruit to high cost of living areas in medicine as it is in other uh, careers. So even though it might cost you twice as much to live in Manhattan, you actually might make less. In fact, you, you almost certainly will make less in most cases moving to Manhattan to take a job in anesthesia. And the reason is uh, it's New York. A lot of people, I think, still want to be there. And what that means is you sort of get what we would call in financial parlance, you get whipsawed, you get hit twice. You get hit with a high cost of living and you get hit with a lower, potentially lower salary in absolute dollars. And so high cost of living for physicians actually means kind of doubly so because of this dynamic in medicine. So that's a really important thing to be aware of that if you're looking at this dynamic, it's probably worse than you even realize because of this sort of two-sided coin in terms of the expense, but also the income. So what I want to do, and let me take an opportunity to say today in this episode, we're talking about a lot of numbers. I'm going to share some calculations and I want to definitely discuss qualitatively important things to look for, but I want to quantify these things in a number of different geographic locales. So let me take this opportunity to our loyal listeners who have not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel. This is an awesome time to do that. So we'll post the link there in the show notes. But if you want to go to apmsuccess.com slash YouTube, that will take you right to our YouTube channel. You can subscribe and that way you'll never miss another video that comes out. That will definitely help you keep up with today's conversation. So having said that, I want to dive into a few numbers here. And what I did was I looked at a few different geographies on the East Coast, the West Coast, a few places in between, and I held a few variables constant. And what I did was I tried to understand and quantify how big of a deal is it if I'm in a high cost of living area versus a low cost of living area. And the locales I looked at were San Francisco, Tucson, Arizona, Houston, Texas, Portland, Oregon, my hometown, and Manhattan. And here's what I found. I'll give you sort of the bottom line first, and then we'll zoom in on the different specific considerations. I assumed that in each of these in geographic locales, an anesthesiologist would make $425,000 of gross income. It's a single earner, not married, no kids, and would be taxed accordingly. There's no self-employment income. I'm assuming this is LW2 wages. And unfortunately, I had to make a number of other adjustments just to have something intelligible to talk about. So the devil's in the details in terms of methodology. I tried to be reasonable and create scenarios that I thought were feasible in the real world. But if you really put a finer point on this and dig down into the details, you'll quickly see that, yeah, I did make some assumptions to try to have something to talk about other than saying, well, everything depends and it's totally impossible to really get specific. So having said that, here's a couple observations between these five locales. First is that your federal income tax and social security associated with 425 grand of income is about 32% of your total wages. So this is one of these big differences that people don't realize whenever you're moving from training into attending hood is that that leap, yeah, your income goes way up, but the share that you're paying of taxes goes way, way up as well. So the total amount going to Uncle Sam for just the federal piece is 135 grand of the 425. Another important consideration is monthly living expenses. And this is where it gets pretty squishy, admittedly. And so what I assumed was this person would take about $10,000 of monthly living expenses above and beyond rent 
to just live the life that they're that they have you know determined for themselves to be an important lifestyle threshold. So what that means is that that ten thousand dollars a month in San Francisco turns into two hundred and ten thousand dollars a year. In Manhattan, it's two hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars a year. In Houston, Texas, it's only one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars a year. So this living expense, monthly living variable, is, you know, basically a margin of one hundred percent in terms of the cheapest and the most expensive. So, in terms of how big of a deal is the monthly living expense in the high cost of living versus low cost of living, the magnitude is really really big, and so it's a six-figure number. And frankly, you could probably live a little higher on the hog, even spending $10,000 a month in Houston rather than $20,000 in Manhattan or whatever, you know, especially if you're outside of town and you can, you know, your dollars go further. And that's before we get into the state income tax stuff, which we're going to talk about in a minute. One other important consideration is the rent. And in order to calculate rent, I took the median rent in each zip code just to have a starting point. The cheapest, you know, Tucson and Houston were fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars per year, and that was for I think like a two bedroom, one bath apartment, something like pretty basic that a uh, a new attending might consider renting. So it go it goes from you know fourteen or fifteen to forty nine in San Francisco and sixty one in Manhattan. And obviously, if you're living in Manhattan, you're probably not going to get an extra bedroom <laughs> because you're not going to have a a guest room for your friends to just crash at when they, you know, a couple times a year when they come to visit, there's a very high premium you'd pay for that. So again, this is one of the limitations of this conversation in the real world. We're probably paring down our living footprint to just try to save some pennies there. But that's one thing to think about. And now I want to get into the guts of one of the biggest differences in these calculations. And this is an area in which it's easy to there's a lot of things where you could argue this or that. Well, I could live in a smaller place or there's there's other ways to make many of these numbers more fungible. However, something that is much more concrete and easy to understand is the tax situation. So I'm going to spend a large chunk of this conversation today talking about state and local taxes. Specifically, there's a state income tax. There's a local income tax, also known as a wage tax in some cases, that some of these locales have. And then there's the sales tax, which that's more difficult to quantify the impact of because it depends on where you're buying stuff and which goods or services are subject to sales tax. But the point is, there is a huge difference, a really concrete difference in these locales on the state and local taxes. And this is a huge driver of the difference between high cost of living and low cost of living for doctors who are making this decision right now. And to give you an idea of the magnitude, you know, the cheapest came in as Houston, Houston, Texas. This would be the same in Dallas or other cities in Texas where the total tax burden is just the sales tax because there's no state income tax and there's no local wage tax. So the only taxes you're paying that are municipality specific are going to be whatever the sales tax is, which I'm seeing as 6.25% in Houston. So the total state and local tax bill all in for Houston residents is $7,000. On the high end, Manhattan is at 63 grand, San Francisco is at 52. So a total magnitude difference here is like 45 to $50,000 in actual tax costs uh, associated with the locale in which you're living. So 
you know, if we take that number $50,000 and, you know, you don't have to multiply that too many times into the future before you start talking real money in terms of the difference. So that is the tax situation. And interestingly, you know, I, I had long suspected that Portland, Oregon was one of the worst tax jurisdictions in America. And it's a little bit of a sleeper. People don't realize that. And part of the reason is, well, two reasons. One is the state income tax is 9.9%. And you get there in a hurry in the state of Oregon. A second consideration is that there are wage taxes for anybody making 125 or 250 grand for a couple different taxes that layer on top of that. So all in tax burden for an anesthesiologist in Oregon is somewhere in the 11 to 12% range. So again, not quite as high as Manhattan or San Francisco, but we're right there. <laughs> and if you exclude the sales tax, it's actually, it's actually higher. So it's, uh, yeah, and because the sales tax is so fungible, again, it gets a little difficult. Oregon, thankfully, does not have a sales tax. Uh, and California or San Francisco and New York do have significant sales taxes. So that is what pushes New York and San Francisco above Portland. But the bottom line is, if you're living in a local tax-free state, so I'm looking at Texas here, but you know Florida is another one and Nevada and there's a number of others. These are, by the way, some of the states that have seen big population influxes as workforces have gone fully remote in COVID and everything. Obviously, you can't uh, be fully remote clinical anesthesia, but it has uh, caused interesting demographic shifts that are still, the, the total effect of them is still being borne out and understood. So something to keep in mind. Then here's where it gets, you know, the, the total impact is kind of what I tried to do next. So I took the total income, the taxes are what they are. There's this living expense number that's a big variable that will then net, once we, we take the total income, minus the taxes, minus the living expenses, and that gives us the sort of net disposable income remaining. And the the range here is about a, it's about a $200,000 range. So the best is Houston and the worst is Manhattan and the gap is about 200 grand between tax impact and cost of living expense. So if you wanna understand the total difference per year, once we take all that into account, it's about $200,000. And then another way to, to think about the impact of this is, you know, if we take that and expand it out over a five-year time horizon, what is the difference between five years in Manhattan and five years in Houston? And it's about a million bucks is the bottom line. So the difference on a five-year net worth building journey between New York and Texas, again, using hopelessly broad brush that is a little bit <laughs> unfortunate, is about a million bucks. So for people who want to understand the difference there and they're, they could flip a coin and say, I don't really care where I want to be, but I'm interested in economic optimization. This is something important to keep in mind. Now, the reason that I began this analysis is because I had a specific client question I wanted to address, which was, I'm looking at PSLF. I'm wrapping up a fellowship year right now. So I'm five years into my 10 year PSLF horizon. I've made 60 out of the 120 required payments as of the end of fellowship. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about the PSLF horizon the same way I'm thinking about fellowship or, or residency. Like maybe I want to experience a new place. It's got a beginning point and an end point, And it's an opportunity to go somewhere that I might not otherwise want to be for forever. 
but I can experience that and then I can close the door on that chapter and then go somewhere that'll be ultimately the, the longer term stay. So in that context, it does create an interesting opportunity for somebody who's halfway through this PSLF horizon. And what I wanted to do was say, what's the difference between looking at, an, you know, being an academic anesthesiologist at NYU versus doing the same at Houston, somewhere in, in Houston. And in terms of the income, it's probably, <laughs> they're, they're within spitting distance of each other, the, the total compensation. And there's this impact of the discrete time frame that makes this easier to stomach because, you know, maybe I do or don't want to be in Texas for forever, but by being there and capturing PSLF there rather than at NYU, even if I want to be in New York for forever, I'm getting PSLF in Texas, plus I'm getting this extra million dollars of net worth tailwind because of all the cost of living benefits, the, the much lower state and local taxes, and the huge just decrease in monthly living expenses. Rent is a lot less, and then just all your groceries and entertainment and everything as well. So this is something to think about for PSLF eligible physicians who they have this decision in front of them, like, do we want to be at the place where we're going to be forever? Or are we willing to, and you know, it's like doctors are already in such delayed gratification mode. I, I wouldn't presume to say that it makes sense to do it again. And from the ages of 31 to 36, continue to put your life on hold. But there are certain circumstances in which it doesn't feel that way. It feels like an adventure and doing something new and trying something in a city where you've wanted to experience the culture or whatever. And, and this could be an opportunity to say, okay, if I want to end up where my family is in Vermont in the long, long run, and I got married last year, and maybe I have a one-year-old, and I'm halfway through training, I can still, I still have this window of flexibility where I can be somewhere for five years, I can capture PSLF, I can be in a state where there's no state or local taxes, I can have this million-dollar net worth tailwind, and then by the time my oldest is five or six years old, and we're about ready to do kindergarten, first grade, that's when I move somewhere where I can be settled and stable and have roots. So... Again, this is a very personal decision, and I'm talking about just the dollars and cents of it. And obviously, there's so many more layers of personal preference and family ties and all the stuff that really is a stronger determinant of where you want to live beyond cost of living. But being aware of the cost of living when you have the flexibility to do so is obviously something to keep in mind. So in conclusion, I want to just talk about a couple things that this really did reinforce to me. The first is that if you're going to be in a coastal metro area, in order for the to not get that double whammy effect, you need to make way, way, way more than if you're in one of these other areas. So because that hardly ever happens, that's one of the reasons that most doctors are getting this economic whipsaw whenever they are taking that job in one of the coastal metros. A huge driver is the local tax, so state and local income taxes. Before you move somewhere, before you take that job, just Google it. Like, what is the state tax in Arizona or Texas or Tennessee? And just for your information, that is, it's going to be a big bite out of your paycheck in ways that you, during re residency and fellowship, you probably haven't even noticed. In terms of PSLF, if you have this discrete time frame, going somewhere cheap to get PSLF and then going private practice and wherever you want to be or whatever, that's definitely something worth considering. And the real sweet spot in terms of economic optimization is being in a low tax area, 
plus a low cost of living area. Whenever you have both of these working for you, now all of a sudden you're in that place where you can live pretty comfortably and still be financially independent by the age of like 51 or something like that. And this is often going to be outside of a metro area in a tax-free state. So for people who are really wanting to economically optimize and they say, I could go literally wherever, I love the idea of the autonomy and the freedom that comes from having enough money to not need my job anymore, what then should I do? The way I would answer that is outside of a metro area in a place that doesn't have state income tax or local income tax, that's the economic answer. Some of the caveats and asterisks, things that I didn't really account for just because it would get cumbersome and unwieldy. Education costs, obviously they vary and quality varies depending on where you live. That is a huge driver of where people live. And so I admit that like, yeah, you got to think about that and it's important. Property taxes and home values, I've totally excluded. I assume for our purposes today that these hypothetical physicians are renting wherever they are. Home affordability is another huge, huge driver of a city where someone's going to live and something to keep in mind. It's also possible to, you know, still make financial progress if you're living in Manhattan or San Francisco. It just requires that you have a significant lifestyle compromise. And for our purposes, I assume that there was no compromise. It was essentially just an adjustment for geography and the same lifestyle we're having in New York or in Dallas or in Tucson. And that's why there's a really big difference in the actual cost of living dollars. When in reality, this is this is probably the biggest limitation of this analysis is a physician who's going through this exercise themselves is saying, well, I'm really going to live well in a low cost of living area, or I'm going to live more modestly in a high cost of living area. And so that variable does get massaged in that way. And then finally, the um, impact of real estate in the wealth building journey. I've totally excluded that. But if you buy a house, if you bought a house in the Bay Area 10 years ago, you're probably happy you did. <laughs> and if you bought that same house in, you know, outside of Dallas, well, frankly, Texas is a, seeing a huge secular tailwind in terms of uh, real estate values as well. So that's probably not a good example. But there's, it's easy to imagine other places where real estate has done less well than it has in some of these high cost of living areas. So all that is to say, you know, if you, if you look at the big picture and look at these main drivers of controlling the controllables, hopefully this will give our listeners something helpful to think about in terms of control the, the local and state taxes and then do the best you can with the living expenses. And hopefully you'll find something that's a good balance for you and your family. So thank you for tuning in and look forward to talking to you again next week. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.